Hi, and welcome back to the Mindful Sport Performance Podcast. I'm Dr. Keith Kaufman. I'm Dr. Tim Pinot. And we are very excited to have with us today, Sarah Cavell. Sarah is a leadership and performance coach based in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is the founder of EI Focus, a nonprofit organization that trains women and girls in sports to be confident and powerful leaders. They do this by training athletes and coaches on the evidence-based leadership skills of emotional intelligence, mindfulness, and gratitude. Sarah herself grew up playing many sports and was a collegiate soccer player. She loves to mountain bike and backcountry ski. So thank you so much, Sarah, for for joining us today. We are really excited to speak with you. Uh, Thank you. So nice to be here and to see you both again. So yeah, we should we should mention as well that Sarah is a graduate of our MSBE instructor training program. Mm-hmm. That's how we got to meet her and um, hearing a little bit about the work that she does and the organization that that she is is a part of. We it just made us so curious. So we are looking forward to this opportunity to hear more about your work and uh, the really important and interesting things that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk. I, the work that you do and the work that we're doing very much overlaps and very complementary. So I'm, I'm excited to be here and, and talk. Yeah, great. Um, uh, but before we get to our conversation, you were gracious enough to, uh, to agree to lead us in a brief meditation. Um, yeah. So Sarah, please take it away. All right. So I, I chose something today that I thought would be appropriate for you know, in the athletes and the coaches in our audience. Um, often in, in sports, we, we get these, we can be triggered, you know, it could be even with our own teammates, we might have, you know, some sort of tough conversation or a comment made, um, or we're frustrated with a referee, or we might even be feeling bad because of something our coach said, or as a coach, we, we may get frustrated with our athletes. And so this practice, uh, is a way to kind of build empathy, build compassion, um, focus on what makes us similar rather than what makes us different. And so I'll, I, I will take you through this short practice. And so wherever you are right now, just sit up nice and tall. And just if it's comfortable for you, if you can cl- uh, close the eyes or lower your gaze. And then just begin by taking a few breaths here. Just relax the shoulders. Just notice how the body moves on your inhale and on your exhale. And then I'd like you to bring to mind somebody in your life that maybe it's you've had a difficult conversation with or Um, something maybe just in general, this person, um, you know, it's not the easiest relationship in your life. So just bring to mind this person. And then I'm going to walk you through, or I'm going to, I'm going to share a few phrases and I'd love for you to repeat in your mind after me. This person was born into this world, just like me. This person has a body and mind, just like me. 
This person has experienced suffering just like me. This person has been sad, angry, or hurt just like me. This person is sometimes scared and worried just like me. This person wants to be loved and understood just like me. This person wants to be seen and heard just like me. This person wants to be safe and healthy just like me. This person wants to belong just like me. And this person wants to be happy just like me. Now in the next few phrases, we're going to wish this person well, even if it might feel hard for you. I wish this person to be free from pain and suffering. I wish for this person to be safe from harm. I wish for this person to have health and well-being. I wish for this person to move through life with ease. I wish for this person to be happy because this person is a fellow human being just like me. you in your life, what was that like for you to wish this person well? And then when you're ready, just slowly open up your eyes and come back to where we are. And I guess I'd just like to add one more thing that this can be done, any part of this can be done in any moment. You know, in any moment when you might feel that trigger of, oof, can't believe they said that, you know, maybe you pick a phrase in that moment right then and you just do that for yourself. Thank you so much for, for leading us through that. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm curious to why you chose that particular meditation. Well, I think, you know, for me and my own, you know, world and my life, it's helpful. It's, it's helped me and it helps those that I've worked with when we can look at others and see the similarities, um, when, you know, and especially in those tough moments, it's like, we're all human here doing really the best that we can. And it kind of just diffuses the, the feelings in the moment, you know, and, um, a lot of what we do, we're trying to build empathy. We're trying to put ourselves in someone else's shoes so we can see things from their point of view. And this is just a great little exercise that helps build those, those, you know, the compassion, empathy, kindness, and actually makes us feel good. It makes us feel good um, by wishing somebody well. So, yeah. yeah I, I think, I, Tim, <laughs> this is the first loving kindness practice we've done on the podcast, right? If I remember I Correctly. think so. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I'm so glad you you did this. I'm so glad you picked this one. And and I I, I like you you introduced you mentioned as a preface, you know, 
people can think about this, like when a ref makes a bad call or when they have strong feelings in sport. Um, and, and so I think that was a wonderful backdrop and I certainly want to focus there, but I have to admit too, we're recording this the week of the U S presidential inauguration and, you know, a lot of calls for unity and, and maybe not a whole lot of substance and how to actually achieve unity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I found myself thinking about that quite a bit as well. And, and what a pleasant sensation it was just to tap into some empathy, uh, during this recording. So. I, again, I know that wasn't necessarily the focus where we're talking about sport here for the most part, but that that definitely crept into my consciousness. Yeah, I'm so glad. And it's true, you know, we're often told, okay, we building, you know, unity, empathy, but how, how do we do this? You know, so this is something, this is a how, this is a tool mm -hmm. and it doesn't need to be this, this, you know, longer meditation that we just went through. It could be you know, maybe one of those lines resonated and, yeah. and that, that's good enough. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly something that we really try to um, emphasize in terms of MSPE, right? That there's this lack of how-to knowledge when it comes to mental training for a lot of coaches and athletes, and especially when it comes to mindfulness too, right? And so, so to have a program that really gives you the how can be really powerful, Um and to be able to draw like you were doing like these explicit connections, like, and so when you like, you can do this when a ref makes a bad call, like, like this is why it is potentially important to sport because I, for me personally, I think the, the, the compassion has been one of the most powerful parts of my own mindfulness practice, um, whether it's how I relate to others or kind of even how I relate to myself. Um, and, and so it's, it's something that I really bring into the work that I do, whether it's with clients or working with athletes. And yet I've also found that athletes in particular tend to be really resistant at first mm -hmm. to the compassion focus, which is one of the things that like struck me that you chose this to like lead off. I was like, oh, wow. Like I almost, I don't, I never give myself permission to start there because I think I've, I've, I've had so much pushback from athletes. And yet this one team I'm thinking of who I've worked with now for five or six years, um, uh, kind of several years into our work, I introduced some more explicit compassion focused meditations. And every time I asked them, like, what meditation do you guys want to return to? Or what was your favorite meditation? Or what was the one that had the most impact? It's the compassion focused ones. Yes, I agree. And, you know, I think that athletes spend so much time at practice and so much time in the physical body. Um, and they're at practice, they're at school, it's, it's, or work, it's go, 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 but never time to kind of just you know, decompress and maybe even connect, whether it's connecting with conversation face-to-face -face with their teammates or just simply like what we just did in their minds, you know, connecting and maybe, you know, in this way of um, reconnecting with somebody that maybe they had a, an altercation with and it, and it makes them feel better. That there's not enough time given because we're all busy, you know, to these conversations of just simply socializing and and how do we how can we make how can we make you know mend a, a you know a difficult conversation and also this is actually you know when you can do it in your own mind somehow somehow it it feels like you've just done something mm -hmm. um, that person. And it, it feels like this is such and and i think you, you, you i'm not going to use your exact words I, I apologize i don't remember exactly what you said but essentially how disarming a practice like this can be and when you talk about an idea like letting go, I mean, in a very practical sense, 
if a ref makes a bad call and, and a coach says, oh, you know, just forget about it, you know, put it out of your head. It's like, right. well, you can't forget that that just happened. That's impossible. But how do you let it go? Well, one right. way, perhaps a very powerful way, which probably doesn't occur a lot to people in a competition situation is, is to say, oh, okay, that ref's a person too. He or she might've made a mistake, but that's going to happen. Let me just move on and keep playing the game now, right? Like to have that moment of compassion, of empathy, instead of allowing the rage to build that can derail your own performance. Right. Um, you know, I, I think to Tim's point, that can be a tough sell perhaps on the yeah. front end, but, but when people actually experience it, how powerful and effective that can be. Right. And you can change those words up too. It's like that referee loves this sport, this game, just like me, you know, they want to be here just like me. And it takes practice to be able to see that. And actually I had a coach um, that really brought this to life where she would just get derailed by the referee, you know, and, and so much so that, that she was losing sight of coaching her athletes and so for her, she realized this was happening. And so she had to come up with something because they were losing, you know, they were losing games over it. And uh, she, she ended up reaching out to this referee and asking to meet him for coffee, you know, wanting to get to know him like as a human. And so that was really powerful for her because it was one person, same person every time. Uh-huh. And, and so that was something she did. Yeah, that's so great. And I mean, like, and it really does feel like the opportunity to do that, to make that change is just right in front of you, mm-hmm. in front of us, in front of these athletes, right? And yet, like, they're actually taught sometimes explicitly to go the other way, right? To really lean into their anger and their aggression. I mean, I feel, I find this comes up a lot, um, <clears throat> or like I end up talking about it a lot in terms of like what they carry into a competition and their attitude toward their opponents. Right. And this idea that like, you can come in like hating the other team or wanting to kill them or wanting to destroy them, you know, but what does that end up doing to you? Right. Sometimes it blinds you. If they foul you and you're already inclined to think like that's a bad person because they're my opponent, right. They foul you. Suddenly it becomes personal. Suddenly you're enraged and then you're fouling them and then you're fouled out of the game. Right. And like, did that really help your team or can you, can you shift? Right. And think, well, they love this sport just like me. And in fact, I can't play this sport unless they show up. And what I really like is when I can win knowing that I gave it my all. And so if they don't show up and give their all, I can't do this thing that I really love to do, right? To see the interdependence of it. Right. It's so true. And, you know, there is that thing that fear can motivate and we need some level of stress to, to <clears throat> do what we do. And, but when it gets to be too much, like what you were just saying, when it, when those emotions overwhelm us and take us into a new place where all of a sudden we're fouling, we're not, we're not even, we're not performing. We're not using the skills that we've built. We're just like fighting for, you know, for that win and in the, in the process, potentially getting fouled out. And then what just happened? You just let your team down, yourself down, and that doesn't feel good. So this is a way, a great way to practice, you know, managing emotions too, you know, and, and having that tool in the moment when you know that ah, every time this person comes close, I just want to, but okay, this person, thank goodness for this, this opponent, because they're making me better. They're making me get fired up right now in a, in a positive way. So 
Well, maybe that's a great segue too into the idea of emotional intelligence and and the work that you do. Um, so I'll just ask this as broadly as possible, and you take it wherever you want. Like, tell us about your work, Sarah. It, it's yeah. fascinating. So please tell us tell us whatever you want to tell us about yeah. your your work with emotional intelligence and female athletes. Okay. Well, gosh, it's a, it is a big question, and I'll just start <laughs> with you know. I am an executive coach and I work with leaders in organizations and healthcare all over the world. And I was trained um, in emotional intelligence by Daniel Goleman's program on emotional intelligence. And we look at the leadership skills, you know, what separates those leaders, you know, at one point, everybody's got technical abilities. They can, they're good at what they do. They've got degrees, they're smart. But what is it that separates these peak performing leaders from those that are really good? And so the research shows that it is emotional intelligence that separates these high performing CEOs and leaders from those that are really great. And so what we've done is, you know, a coach, for instance, is like the CEO of their team. Mm -hmm. They are the leader. They're the role model their emotions affect their players and how not only not only do their emotions affect as a coach their performance as a coach but because they're the leader their emotions affect their team and when you know a coach is not managing their emotions uh, it definitely affects the team and it can it can um, it, it can go both ways too you know so we use the different the skills of emotional intelligence to train our athletes around and coaches on how to be peak performers on the athletic field uh, using these leadership skills. So, and when we talk about emotional intelligence, often people are like, what is emotional intelligence? I hear it, I've, I've read it, but what the heck is it? Yeah. And the way I like to describe it is Emotional intelligence is the ability to uh, recognize what we're feeling and understand how our emotions affect our performance and our relationships. And so this is, this is, uh, this is what we do. And a little bit more about why um, we're focusing on women and girls in particular, that there's research, there's a big research done recently uh, by Nike and the Women's Sports Foundation, uh, looking at why girls drop out of sports at a rate that's two to three times that of boys. Mm. And one of the key findings was that that relationship with coach and with their other athletes really matters. Uh, Girls come to sports to be with their friends to be more, to be social. Um, girls need to be coached a little bit differently than, than boys. And so we believe that by building these skills of emotional intelligence, ultimately we're gonna keep girls playing. Um, I, you know, most of the athletes that I've talked to, including myself, all remember a, a moment or moments when maybe we were on a team and maybe it was a, our fellow athlete or our coach who might've said something to us that made us feel like, do I really want to keep playing here? Mm-hmm. You know, like, ah, I'm, I'm this close to saying I'm done, you know? And um, we're, we weren't, again, going back to given tools, 
we were told to, you know, suck it up. You got this, you know what to do, you know, you know, manage your, manage yourself, get it together. But what does that mean? You know, what does that really mean? And how do I do that? And so we are giving athletes tools on how, how do you manage yourself under pressure, under stress? How can a coach express um, themselves effectively to an athlete without making that athlete go, you know, feel bad really. And, and in fact, how can it, how can a coach speak in a way that's actually motivating, you know, and many do I'm not saying that I'll do that's yeah. for sure. There's amazing coaches around and, um, and actually it's not really, we're not really looking at fixing necessarily problems. We're wanting to make, make people better, you know, like make communication better. And um, so a little bit, so we've got girls, we want to keep girls playing because not only do we know the health benefits, girls playing sports, mm -hmm. um, confidence, um, more likely to go to college. Um, but we also know that when we look at female executives, 94% of them played sports, which I think is such a giant number. Wow. 94% of female executives played sports. That's research done um, by Ernst and Young and ESPN women, I believe. And, um, and so, you know, it, there's so many great things that come out of playing sports. So we are really trying to give tools to both coaches and athletes to, to keep, keep girls playing, wow. um, stay motivated and, and all those good things that sport brings. That, yeah, that's awesome. It's just amazing, you know? And again, it just feels like such, um, like you're embracing this like really like long-term holistic perspective, you know, I guess kind of circling back to this idea of interdependence and just seeing the way that all these things are connected that like, right, the decisions that get made, the things that influence us when we're a teenager about our sport participation may actually kind of manifest in these ways 20, 30 years down the line yeah. in our professional career. And like, if we're attuned to how all of these things work together, we have so many more opportunities kind of to influence the trajectory of these things. Yes. And, you know, and even the bigger picture of equality, women and equality, you know, the more we have women in executive leadership roles, the, the greater the chance of, you know, closing that gap. Um, and, and, um, so the you know it's important that that we keep pushing through and uh, COVID has actually sent us backwards a bit um, and you know with the the different roles the gender roles have kind of come in reverse so there's a lot of work to do um, but it's exciting and it's it feels so great to like going back to, okay, tangible tools. What can we do? You know, what can we do in those moments? Um, instead of just assuming that we know what to do because we're an elite athlete or, or we're just, you know, we're, we're in competition. We should know what to do. Right. And I do think there is that, I mean, very much so in sports, like that assumption that like, if you have what it takes, you have what it takes. And if you don't, you don't. Right. And right. so many coaches and teams operate that way. You know, mm -hmm. just like, Oh, if someone is like struggling, they get cut. Right. It's not like, Oh, let's figure out a way to support them. Let's figure out a way to, to like help them like figure out what these weak spots are. Right. And so there's not enough 
space, I think, given um, to, to that idea that you were saying that it's not necessarily even about like managing deficits, but just right. like bringing in something in that could just elevate things in general. Yeah. I think there's no quote unquote problems, um, but right. But then when there, once there is a problem, right, it's like we need to do everything we can to eliminate it in some way. And that's just such a toxic mindset that I think, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't allow anyone to show any vulnerability or any weakness or ask for help or support. Yeah. I mean, I think about the athletes potentially that we have lost, you know, just saying I'm done yeah. and, and, and the, the talent and the skill and the potential and then like, no, but it happens all the time. And, uh, so how can we, how can we, um, you know, how can we just add to the, the toolkits here of athletes and coaches on making, making, you know, for effective communication where ultimately, you know, everybody, again, we all have on a team, we all want this. We, we want the best for each other, but sometimes it doesn't come across that way. Yeah. I, I appreciate you also defining emotional intelligence and the way that you guys mm. work with it. And, and I know you said at the beginning, there's a lot of synergy between the work that you do and the work that, that folks like Tim and I do with, with mindfulness. And, and I'm just thinking, so, so when, when we wrote our book, I, I have a, a, a coach who I've done some consulting with, who's a position coach um, at a soccer academy. And, and he was very candid in saying that he feels like the coaching for the position he works with has not evolved for about a hundred years because mm -hmm. the mentality in coaching is, well, I just do what my mentor did. That's the right thing. And, and he spoke to actually some of the crit criticism that he's gotten from his mentors in going in different directions and incorporating things like mindfulness into the way that he coaches his athletes and really emphasizing mental training. So I actually ended up quoting him uh, a number of times in our book, in our MSPE book, because I, I loved what he was saying so much. But this whole idea that I think you're raising of making coaches curious about the impact that they have and being aware of the emotional impacts, not only, as you're saying, on their performance, but on the performances of their teams. Mm -hmm. um, and, and going back to something else that you mentioned, and I, and I see this every day in the individual work that I do with clients, how many of them just kind of blindly adhere to this model of fear because that's what was done to them. That's what they know. That's what's familiar in the culture of sport and, and maybe don't realize the impact that that has on, you know, in, in, in the context of what we're talking about on, on young female athletes and maybe ultimately drives them out of the sport or causes them to feel pretty negatively toward themselves um, where maybe they otherwise wouldn't have to. So just, I guess all this to say the importance of raising the awareness of the impact that coaches have and bringing them this knowledge of emotional intelligence feels incredibly important. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm wondering too, like how much resistance you encounter because of this kind of traditional approach in coaching to, you know, I do what my mentor does. That's the right way. That's the answer. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question because, you know, like anything, um, especially something new, like new ish, I mean, emotional intelligence isn't new, but it's definitely new in the sports world, you know, bringing this kind of, um, thoughts into the sports world, but I have to say, you know, and, and it does take work. So somebody who's resistant and doesn't want to do this, it's not going to work, but 
what is helpful is when we talk about the, you know, the research in, in the executive world, you know, um, it, the fact that this is evidence-based, you know, these are the 12 skills of emotional intelligence. It's helpful. Um, but there's still that, you know, well, this is sports. This is not how we were taught to, to um, coach. And, and in my experience, the people that I've worked with have been, it's been a mutual curiosity, you know, and um, an openness to, huh, how can I be better? It's that, I think that is the, 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 the key there is not, um, I'm trying to fix something that's broken, but when you've got a, a coach who really wants the best for their team, who, who wants to be a high performer, peak performer, they want to win really. Um, often they're open to, I, in my experience, open to what else can I do? What else is there? And many of them have been athletes themselves. So when we talk, when I say, just like what we just were talking about, you know, there's some of these conversations, um, I think every athlete I've and coach, it's, there's been this memory of, okay, I was this close to quitting or I did quit. And I, I thankfully I came back, but, um, when we have these real conversations about what did that feel like for you? It's like, Oh yeah. You know? So when they can really relate to it and want to do something different, there's a, an openness to, okay, tell me more. How does this work? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I, I do think, right. That if you've got even just a little bit of openness, it's so easy to paint the picture of like why this is important, how yeah. it helps like, and, and like, why it might be necessary to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, cause it's so, I don't know. I mean, obviously I've preached to the choir, but like I find the argument so convincing and so compelling about why bringing in mindfulness and emotional intelligence can improve relationships, improve performance. But yeah, it's amazing to me sometimes the, you know, when you, when you encounter those walls, like that lack of openness and that rigidity, it's mm-hmm. like, but to, but to your point, like if someone's in that mindset, it's so, it's so hard to break in. Yeah. And it's not for, it's not going to be for everyone yet, you know? And I think that the more we can be out there and, and highlighting those that are embracing and and showing like, look, look at the results. You know, one year I was working with a couple teams and they swept the gold medals in a national competition, Mm -hmm. two different teams, two different age groups, all all divisions. And I know that, okay, I'm not going to take credit for all of it, of course, (laughs) but even if it was a itsy bitsy bit of that, you know, point that, you know, so these things are helpful, you know, as, as we're all doing this work and we're, our teams are getting results in these ways. I mean, because ultimately, not ultimately, but oftentimes when a person's coming in, they want to know, okay, how are we going to win? how, how is this going to make us be a better team? And so when we can, we speak to the gold medals or whatever, but underneath that, it's like, look, this is what we did to get there. These are all the things we did. And even if it's just a little bit that contribute to it, well, that can make all the difference. Hmm. Um, And, and the greatest thing that I've found in the work is that not only is it helping in the sport, but really other parts of life family, work, school, all of it. It is, we have this audience 
in athletics. And that's another thing, like the coach has such a, they spend so much time with their athletes and they have the ability to influence so many parts of their life. And across the board, it's been like, wow, this has really helped me manage my stress before I take tests at school. I use these same techniques um, before mm-hmm. taking a test or uh, dealing with that difficult conversation I had, you know, with a friend. Um, so these tools really not only help in sport, but in all parts of life. And that is so rewarding um, and, and really powerful, actually. Yeah. I feel like that's such a, a big theme that's that's come out in our podcast discussions with so many guests. And, and I love hearing it because, you know, tearing down this idea of the parachuting in model Right. And, and this very selective, narrow way that sports psychology, performance psychology has looked at uh, the intervention work that's done and just, you know, conversation after conversation that we're having that speaks to the holistic nature of, of what we're really after and how, I mean, Sarah, it, it just, it sounds so familiar, right? This idea of like, yeah, we, we want to emphasize the performance and, and the, the gold medals, right? That sounds really good, but, but that's not all this is, right? right. Um, that may be what someone initially comes to you for, but, but to see all of these benefits across life, I mean, these are, these are living, breathing human beings. These are not just athletes who you wind up and throw on a field. Um, and, and so I, I, I hope that work like what you're doing and what we're doing and, um, that, that it, it really continues to shift this paradigm in, in sport and performance psychology toward this, this very holistic way of conceptualizing intervention work. That's right. Because, right, of course, how could it not be true? Like a healthy, well-balanced person is going to be a better athlete, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's like when we, when we get this like myopic kind of attachment to like winning a gold medal or winning a championship, it completely distorts our, our, our reasoning, right? You, you reduce someone to one aspect of their identity, Right. And so then it's like, well, no, you, you actually can't go to that family function. You have to be at this practice. Like, no, like, I don't care how much you're fighting with your partner. Like you can't have extra time to see them because you need to be dedicated to these workouts. Right. It's like, well, no, actually, if you let go of a little bit of that control, right. And actually let this person like have a good family life and have a good social life and participate in their support. Right. They're going to, they're going to be more present when they're at practice. They're going to be able to give you more of themselves because they're not going to be distracted. Like, and it's like, again and again and again, we see these, these examples of, of why letting go is so helpful, right? Because when we let go of this like narrow focus and these, these like kind of singular goals and see the bigger picture, it just, it's becomes so much easier to attain those goals. It's like, that's the paradox. That's the irony. Yeah, it's so true. And you know, going back to why girls come to sports, for instance, you know, and, and what they want, they, it, the research even, you know, they want to be treated as a whole person, not just an athlete. That's part of that building that compassion and empathy too, as a coach, like getting to know your athletes, caring about the other parts of their lives, like the power of that, you know, to, for a, for a young girl um, or woman to know, you know, my coach really cares about me. And it creates this kind of almost like, you know, this, this connection that it, it's motivating. It, it makes a person want to, you know, work hard, not only for themselves, but for this person, because 
equally, you know, their lives matters and they care about their coach. It's, it's this building this strong connection. And we know that um, when we can get curious about somebody and ask questions and, and show that we care, this is what, this is what matters in relationships. What, what a important counterpoint, like you said earlier, you know, Hey, fear can work, but when you want to play for yourself and for people that are a part of your, your sports family, how much more powerful that is as, as a source of motivation. Um, and guess what? You're not limited by, by the fear, right? Without all of these side effects that come with trying to play, not to lose. Um, I, I think to, to make that as tangible as possible. Right. And obviously what you're doing is, is tied to science. You've referenced mm -hmm. research, Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I think still so much work needs to be done to really show people this works. This is a more potent source of fuel. This, if you, yes, have these goals, if you want to reach these championships, it's better to do it this way, <laughs> right. Than than to scare everyone into being afraid to make a mistake. Um, I, I just, I find what you're saying so powerful and so important. Um, and yet also so tangible. Right. If, if you're curious about it and willing to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that ability that while we are talking about sports here, again, just how it affects all parts of life. And then when we, when we affect all parts of life in a positive way, we're coming to sport that much more whole. And, um, you know, one of the other one of it's interesting, one of the one big um, important practices that we do with our athletes is this practice of gratitude also, which is a really simple little something, you know, um, and, but it has become so crazy powerful, just being able to share with your teammate, you know, I'm grateful for you for, um, you know, giving me that whatever guidance or that tip or whatever it is that an athlete might say. And, and, and for the coach coming into these conversations as well. Um, another great way to build that team connection and, um, and cohesiveness. I mean, it's, it's crazy because it sounds so simple and it is actually very simple and the, the power of it all. Um, so. Well, and to your point before about how this, you know, learning about these concepts, engaging in these practices, it's about so much more than sport performance. And I found, you know, pivoting with the pandemic, you know, I've been working with the a couple of teams kind of in this ongoing way and right last spring suddenly mid-season like there's no more season there's no more competition yes. you know it's like what do, what do we do you know we were continuing to have virtual meetings but but our focus shifted now we were still talking about mindfulness we talked a lot about gratitude but it was like well how do i navigate this new stressor in my life how do i navigate the loss of this season how do i navigate uncertainty right and so like some of those themes were very similar in terms of like what we were talking about in sport, there's a lot of uncertainty in sport. You know, there's a lot of painful things that happen, but this was just on a whole different scale, but right. it all translated, mm -hmm. you know, figuring out like all the stuff we've been practicing, we can apply it. We can apply it to like it being a struggle, having to move back home and live at home again for an extended period of time, be about like dealing with these feelings of loss and just like being with those feelings instead of needing to make them go away or judging yourself for having them. Like, it was just so, it was just so cool. So awesome to see them 
to see those light bulbs go off, you know? And they're like, oh, oh yeah, all this work that we've been doing like also applies to my whole life. And it's like making it easier for me to deal with this. Like that piece was really rewarding for me. Yes, yes. Having those tools prior to this whole pandemic was just invaluable um, because you're right being able to apply them and realize like how, how easy they, they do apply to all, yeah. all of the different stressors and um, in our lives. And so, yeah, having that, had that going in for those, for those that have had the training um, and then to be able to apply it to this, you know, unforeseen mm-hmm. life event. Yeah. Um, so Sarah, I guess, I guess a two-part question um, you know, you're, you're talking about this work and probably our listeners can tell why we were so interested in interviewing you. Cause I mean, it just sounds so, so wonderful what you're doing and so unique. Um, and, and so I, I'm aware, I think you have some, some space right on both coasts. I know you're based on the West coast, but if I remember correctly, you also have a presence on the East coast. And so for anybody who's listening, um, I, I guess I'd be curious if, if you could share how how they might connect with you or if they wanted more information or, or what kinds of services um, your, your organization is providing. So clearly from, from our discussion today, you work with, with youth athletes, you work with coaches, um, you know, how, how might anyone listening who wants more information engage you? Yeah, thank you. Yes. And so we work with uh, athletes of all ages, really mostly I'd say, you know, the middle school, high school and up, but we do work with, you know, national, nationally ranked athletes um, and Olympians and, and all, athletes and coaches of all ages, really. And we do uh, trainings with the teams. We also do one-on-one with coaches. Um, we have a book that's coming out soon. That'll be exciting. That kind of gives just quick tips on what to do in the moment. And, um, we've got a couple really fun projects going on right now. One of them is called uh, Always an Athlete, and we invite anybody to come to our website, which is www.eifocus.org. And what we're doing is we're highlighting women who've been playing sports throughout their lives. And so we're asking for four photos, one picture from uh, you as a younger person in your life playing sport a current photo of you in action, a headshot, and then what's in your gear bag? how did you get here? How do you do what you do? Whatever that might mean to you. And so we're, you know, we're, we're trying to highlight women um, being these role models in sport, you know, always having sport in their lives. And another thing we do is we have some really great interviews of elite female athletes, coaches, and leaders on our website that we're asking questions around emotional intelligence, such as, you know, how do, how do um, your emotions affect your performance as a leader, as a coach, as, a, as an athlete? Um, how do you motivate your team? How do you stay motivated? These types of questions. And so we've got a library of interviews that I invite anyone to come check out. They're all free, all on our website. Um, and you can always, you can email me, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H at eifocus.org. And um, would love to hear from from those that are interested. We we want to work with, you know, we love our team trainings, and um, we're actually in the process of rolling out our gratitude leadership program for young athletes mm-hmm. to then train the younger 
Um, so that's going to be really exciting. So look, look for more information on that coming soon. Wow. That's great. Yeah. yeah so sounds like lots of resources yeah. and excited for your book to come out. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's, awesome. that's wonderful. Thank you. It's, Can you it's, say uh, the name of it? I don't think you said the title. What, what's the name of the book? We're calling it, it's called the sweat book. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it's, you know, it's just an overview. It's high level awareness about emotional intelligence, mindfulness, gratitude with examples, you know, in action, like based on our experience working with athletes and coaches and then just quick tips. What can you do in that moment? It's, it's, it's targeted towards coaches. Actually, this book is for coaches and what can you do in that moment? What are some of the tools that I had one coach, for instance, say, um, he was actually, he was coaching golf, a golfer and this, this, it was an important hole and um, coach is like, come on, you got this, you, you know what to do. And the athlete turned and said, I actually don't know what to do right now. And the coach said to me, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> he didn't know what to say. And so um, anyway, this, this is meant to be like a little guide, you know, of course, to read on your own and then to have those, okay, what can I do right now <laughs> if, I, if you need something? So that's the intention. Great. And what, what's the release date on that? You said it's coming out soon. When, when can coaches uh, look for that? Uh, let's just say <laughs> soon. Okay. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say by March. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so very, very soon. So we're recording this at the end of January. So, so, yeah, so great. It should be out by the end of March. Okay. Great. Great. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, thank you. I mean, it's just so interesting and, and encouraging to, to hear about what, what you're doing and, and what your organization is doing. And uh, we strongly encourage anyone who's listening to this to check out your website and these resources yeah. and your book. And, um, you know, certainly hope that, that we can continue to collaborate in this space as well with, with you, you've mentioned the role that mindfulness has. And um, it's, it's just so exciting to us to hear about this. So thank you very much for joining us and sharing with our listeners what, what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I just really enjoy this conversation. I could talk all morning with both of you. So thank yeah. you for having me. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and, and for any listeners who want to connect with us, um, we have our MSPE Institute website, uh, which is www.mindfulsportperformance.org. Um, we also have our companion YouTube channel that goes with this podcast where we do share the meditations that, that we and our guests lead. So um, Sarah has been kind enough to say we can include hers. So please look for that up soon. Um, we also have our uh, Instagram page for our podcast. And the handle for that is at mindful underscore sport underscore podcast. We have our MSPE Facebook page. And last but not least, um, we have uh, my Twitter account uh, and my handle is at MindfulSportDoc. So feel free to engage me that way. Um, and we want to just take a moment and thank our colleague, Dr. Carol Glass, for all of her support of our podcast behind the scenes. Uh, we're trying to encourage her to be a guest at some point. We'll see if she, <laughs> if she takes the plunge. Um, and also our producer, Taylor Brown from EnduroMind for all of his help with the podcast. Um, so thank you again to Sarah. Thank you to everyone who listened and we will see you next time. Thanks everybody.